Hey guys, before we start the show, I just want to give a quick shout out to another podcast. Welcome, dear reader, to Dispatches from the Armchair. There's so much news, and the world moves so fast. What are the big ideas and historical forces that are really shaping our world? Go deeper than the headlines with Dispatches from the Armchair. You are listening to the Pacific War Channel's podcast. If you wish to see the video version of these podcasts, go to the Pacific War Channel on YouTube. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Pacific War Channel, the channel where we cover the entire Asia-Pacific War of 1937 to 1945 and all the major events that led up to it. Today, we are venturing into one of the most grievous wounds the Qing Dynasty will have to bear during the Hundred Years of Humiliation. This episode is going to be on the Boxer Rebellion of 1899 to 1901. Now, if you have not already done so, please hit that like and subscribe button as it would mean a lot to this small channel. And as you can see, I have two very hungry parrots that need peanuts. After the First Sino-Japanese War of 1894 to 1895 concluded with a Japanese victory and the humiliation of China, wheels were set into motion for another major conflict. The outcome of the Second Opium War of 1856-1860 was the Treaty of Tianjin and the Convention of Peking. Among the humiliating conditions, Christian missionaries were given the freedom to preach anywhere within China and to buy property and to build churches. War, droughts, floods, and opium led many of the Qing Dynasty's youth to banditry to make ends meet. Many of these bandits were fueled by what they saw as a weakened Qing government, who was appeasing to foreign powers encroaching and exploiting their nation. In 1895, a Manchu prefect of Chaoshou named Hu Xian began to combat banditry. To do this, he cooperated with the Big Sword Society, a group formed specifically to thwart banditry. At this time, German missionaries of the Divine Word were building their presence in the area. The local bandits began to convert to the Catholic Church because the imperial court of the Qing dynasty gave Christians legal immunity to prosecution. The Big Sword Society argued that the bandits were abusing the system to avoid prosecution. This led some Big Sword Society members to attack and burn Catholic properties in protest. On November the 1st and 2nd of 1897, two German missionaries, Richard Henley and Franz Xavier Ney of the Society of Divine Word were murdered in Jie County of Shandong by a group thought to be the Big Sword Society. This incident became known as the Juye Incident. Kaiser Wilhelm II received news of the Juye Incident and dispatched the German East Asia Squadron to occupy Zhaozhou, Bay of the southern coast of Shandong Peninsula. By December 1897, he declared his intent to seize territory in China, which initiated a scramble amongst the great nations of Britain, France, Russia, and Japan to seize their own spheres of influence within China. Alongside the seizure of Zhaozhou, Germany took the influence sphere of Shandong. Britain extended its control over Hong Kong by adding the new territories, took the major port city of Wei Ai Wei, and began holding influence over the Yangtze River Valley. France took the city of Guangzhou Wan and held influence over Yunnan, Guangxi, and Guangdong. Russia held control over the new Chinese Eastern Railway, Dalian, Port Arthur, and the territory north of the Great Wall. Japan was given concession in the major city of Tianjin and influence over Fujian. Italy attempted to seize Zhejiang, but the Qing government rejected them. What's your fucking problem? Huh? This carving up of China infuriated the people who saw it as a failure of their government, yet again appeasing the imperialist encroachment of foreigners. Many of these people would lash out by joining secret non-state societies in order to thwart the Christian and foreign exploitation of their country. The righteous and harmonious fist, Yihu Chen, movement began in areas such as Shandong and Hubei during the mid-1880s. They practiced martial arts and were perceived by many to be impervious to bullets. They were heavily influenced by other non-state secret societies like the Big Sword Society and the White Lotus Society. Their initial intent was to lessen Qing government influence throughout China by means of violence, but soon directed their actions against Christians and foreign influence. The boxers periodically attacked Chinese Christians who they deemed traitors, burnt down churches, and harassed Qing and foreign officials when they could. This led foreign nations such as France to demand the Qing government do more to protect Christian communities within China. In October 1898, a group of boxers attacked a Christian community in Nuanxin village, where a temple to the Jade Emperor had been converted into a Catholic church. They used for the first time the slogan, Fu Xing Mi Yang, support the Qing, destroy the foreigners. They also called themselves Yi Hu Tuan, militia united in righteousness, instead of Yi Hu Quan. They did this deliberately to distance themselves from martial arts, which was outlawed, giving their movement legitimacy by defending Chinese orthodoxy as a real force instead of looking like bandits. 
The slogan and name change was also their attempt to earn recognition from sympathizers in the Qing government, whom they thought could perhaps ally with them to fight off the foreigners. Armed with spears, swords, and a few hunting rifles, up to 1,500 boxers attacked Qing troops in northwestern Shandong province, inflicting some light casualties. This event became known as the Battle of Sunlo Temple. The Qing forces quickly counterattacked and killed 27 boxers, caught and executed their leaders in the following months. Yet this event, the slogan, and the name change managed to attract support from conservative officials in the imperial court, such as anti-foreigner Prince Zhuan, leader of the 10,000-strong Hushaying Tiger Spirit Division, who began to see the boxers as possible allies against the imperialist western forces encroaching on China since the Jia incident. Periodically, Qing forces would be sent to suppress boxer uprisings only to increase their support as it was seen as the Qing government appeasing foreign demands. Yuan Shikai, a proponent of western modernization efforts, controlled one of the most powerful armies in China and was given governance of Shandong and began to suppress boxers there, who he saw as a menace. Li Hongzhong was viceroy of Yangguang and also a proponent of Western modernization. He also began to suppress boxers in a similar fashion within his region. All of this coincided with a series of reforms ordered by Emperor Guangxu and its reform-minded supporters. The 100 Days Reform, or Wuzhu Reforms, was a 103-day series of reforms making sweeping social and institutional changes. A large reason for the reforms was a reaction to the outcome of the First Sino-Japanese War of 1894-1895, which was a major shock to China. The reforms aimed to abolish the traditional examination system and build a modern education system in its place, change the government from an absolute monarchy to a constitutional monarchy, adopt more capitalistic principles, and overall modernization using Western models. These self-strengthening reforms were strongly opposed to by conservatives in the imperial court who were suspicious of Western influence and sought to expel the foreigners. In addition, the reforms meant the forceful removal of Empress Dowager Shi from power. In order to forcefully remove Empress Dowager Zhexi, the reformers ordered Yuan Shukai to secretly kill Manchu General Rongyu, who scholars argue may have been Zhexi's lover, and take control of the military garrison at Tianjin. After this, he was to return to Beijing with the forces and place Empress Dowager Zhexi under house arrest. However, instead, Yuan Shukai went to Tianjin and notified Rongyu of the entire plot. Empress Dowager Zhejie, having learned of the plot, engineered a coup d'état led by Rongliu on September the 22nd, 1898, and forced Emperor Kongzhu in house arrest within the Summer Palace. She then took over the government as regent and quickly reversed the reforms. Six intellectual reform-minded advocates were executed known as the Six Gentlemen of Wuzhu. The failure of the reforms and aggressive coup d'état was seen by the Chinese public to be caused by foreign aggression. Accompanied by this was the threat of Christianity, the unequal treaties, and a sense that China was being carved up and dismembered by Western imperialist powers. By January 1900, the conservatives in the imperial court, headed by Prince Duan, pushed Empress Dowager Shi to issue edicts in support of the boxers. The boxers, in response, began to drop their opposition to the Qing dynasty altogether and exclusively targeted Christians and foreigners. The boxer movement spread rapidly from northern Changdong into the Beijing countryside. They burnt down churches, killed Chinese Christians, and intimidated any Chinese officials who stood in their way. By May 1900, seeing the growing threat, foreign diplomats in Beijing, led by British Minister Claude Maxwell MacDonald, requested that foreign soldiers come to China to defend the foreign legation quarters within Beijing. The Qing government reluctantly acquiesced, and an international force of 435 naval troops from over eight nations came to Beijing. The forces debarked from warships at the Bohai coast and took the train from Tianjin to Beijing, where they set up defensive positions around their respective legations. On June 5, 1900, the boxers cut the railway line near Langfang, isolating Beijing. Then on June 11, the secretary of the Japanese legation, Sugiyama Akira, was killed at the Yangting Gate by soldiers under General Dong Chuchang, who was guarding the southern Beijing Wall. General Dong Fuzhang was a Han Chinese general who commanded Muslim Hui soldiers known as the Gangzhu Braves. Empress Dowager Zhejie had transferred Dong Fuzhang to Beijing in 1898 with the Wu Wei Rear Division, and they made repeated attacks on foreigners in their legations, railways, and churches in and around Beijing. They were armed with German Mauser rifles and some artillery pieces, making them quite dangerous. Hostile Guangzhou and Boxer forces began to surround the legation quarters. The situation forced British Minister Claude Maxwell MacDonald to request additional troops to protect the legations. A second international force of 2,000 sailors was sent in early June under the command of British Vice Admiral Edward Seymour. The force consisted of 916 British, 455 Germans, 326 Russians, 158 French, 112 Americans, 54 Japanese, 41 Italians, and 26 Austro-Hungarians, making a eight-nation alliance. They were dispatched from the Daegu to Beijing on June the 10th. They did not realize the railway had been severed and were forced to move on foot from Langfang to Beijing. On the way, they passed the anti-boxer general Ni Shusheng's forces, who let them pass freely. This was because Ni Shusheng was fed false orders from Rongyu, 
who was secretly thwarting efforts of the anti-foreigners to attack the foreign legations. Meanwhile, the pro-boxer and anti-foreigner Manchu Prince Yuan replaced Prince Qing as Zhongli Yamen, leader of the foreign office, and effectively secretly led the boxers as well as his Hu Xiangying. During this time, two factions were emerging within the imperial court. On one side were conservatives who were anti-foreigner, viewing them as invasive and imperialistic. They advocated for taking advantage of the boxer situation and used them to expel the foreigners. The other faction was pro-foreigner, who saw the boxers as foolish and doubted their efficiency. Knowing there was too much popular support for the boxers, Empress Dowager Zhiji swayed the Qing imperial government to officially support the boxers and an unofficial war with the foreigners. On June 13th, Empress Dowager Zhiji ordered the imperial forces to block the advances of Seymour's troops. She sent Ni Xuzhang's forces away from Tianjin and then sent Dong Fuzhang's Gangzhu braves to attack Seymour. Admiral Seymour's men were pincer attacked by 3,000 Gangzhu braves of Dong Fuzhang and over 2,000 boxers. The mostly sword-wielding boxers charged the Alliance troops in human wave attacks. The boxers were continuously ambushing the Alliance troops and setting off firecrackers to mimic gunshots. Simultaneously, the Guangzhou Braves were ambushing the Alliance relentlessly using snipers, cavalry, and artillery bombardments. The Alliance troops were forced to retreat from Langfang onto trains full of bullet holes. By June 18th, the Guangzhou Braves and the boxers lost 200 men each, while the Alliance lost 7 men and had 57 wounded. As the Alliance fled, they were being bombarded by Chinese artillery, snipers, mining, and engineered flood attacks. While retreating downriver, they came across the Great Xizhu Arsenal, which was a hidden Qing munitions cache. The Alliance forces occupied it and found Krupp field guns, rifles, and over a million rounds of ammunition with rice and medical supplies. Seymour's forces dug in and awaited rescue, sending a Chinese servant to notify the eight powers of their situation. Seymour's forces were attacked around the clock by Qing troops and boxers, almost to the point of being overrun. By June 25th, a regiment of 900 Russians and 500 British troops arrived on foot, coming from Tianjin, to rescue them. The new force spiked the field guns and set fire to the munitions they could not take with them. The combined force limped back to Tianjin, unopposed by June the 26th. Overall, Seymour had 62 men die and 228 wounded. During all of this, on June the 15th, the Qing forces had deployed electric mines in the Beihe River to prevent the Alliance from sending ships to attack. With communication cut between Tianjin and Beijing, the Alliance began to reinforce their presence significantly. On June the 16th, 10 Alliance ships led by Russian commanders sailed in proximity to the Dagu forts and sent Zhixi an ultimatum, demanding that China surrender total control of its military and economy to the foreigners. Zhixi responded before the Grand Council, Now they have started the aggression and the extinction of our nation is imminent. If we just fold our arms and yield to them, I would have no face to see our ancestors after death. If we must perish, why don't we fight to the death? The Qing forces did not wait for the expiration of the deadline set by the Alliance Navy and opened fire from every single cannon from the Dagu Fort simultaneously on June the 17th. The Qing cannons managed to inflict major damage on six of the Alliance ships. Four German-made destroyers of the Qing Navy were docked near the Dagu Forts, which could attack the Alliance at any moment, but the HMS Whitning and the HMS Fame were able to dart towards them and board them before they could attack. The Alliance Navy and Dagu forts exchanged fire upon another, while the Alliance sent an amphibious assault of 200 Russians and Austrians, 380 British and Italians, and 300 Japanese to storm the forts. After capturing two of the forts, the Alliance set the fort cannons on the remaining two Qing-held forts, bombarding them until they surrendered. The Alliance had 172 casualties among the 900 soldiers that engaged. The Qing most likely suffered minor casualties. This event became known as the Fourth Battle of the Dagu Forts. The reports of the Dagu Fort battle came back to Beijing as a positive for the Qing forces, who inflicted heavy casualties on the alliance. The reports also failed to tell Zhixi that the forts had actually been taken in the end. Feeling confident, Zhixi proceeded to order the Peking Field Force to begin a siege of the foreign legations. Zhixi ordered the legation diplomats and other foreigners to depart Beijing under escort of the Qing military within 24 hours. She also ordered Ni Zhixiang's forces near Tianjin to attack the foreign quarters there. On June the 17th, a Chinese force of 15,000 with boxers began to artillery bombard the foreign quarters of Tianjin. But because of corruption in the factories, the ammunition proved to do less damage than they expected. 5,000 Alliance soldiers disembarked from the coast to capture the city of Tianjin. The Alliance underestimated the Chinese forces, who used artillery on them without mercy. The Alliance forces consisted of 2,500 Russian, 2,000 Japanese, 900 American, 800 British, 600 French, and 100 German and Austrians tried to assault the city walls. The Alliance suffered heavy casualties to Chinese fire from Winchesters, Mausers, and Mannerichers. The Alliance was forced to retreat, but the Japanese general, Fukushima Yasumasa, continued the attack during the night. The Japanese eventually overcame the Chinese defenders. They burst open the south gate, charging into the city. General Nishisheng was killed by artillery. 
and the Alliance occupied Tianjin. The Battle of Tianjin was the bloodiest of the war. 250 Alliance troops were killed with 500 wounded. The Chinese lost an unknown number. Meanwhile in Beijing, the diplomats met to discuss Yu Xi's offer and they all agreed that the Qing military could not be trusted. They refused her demands and German Imperial Envoy Baron Clemens Freyer von Kettler was so infuriated by the situation that he wanted to take up his complaints to the royal court, even though the other diplomats advised him against this. The Baron was killed on his way out of the legation to the palace by Manchu captain. On June the 21st, Empress Dowager Zhixi officially declared war on the foreign powers. Zhixi stated, I have always been of the opinion that the Allied armies have been permitted to escape too easily in 1860. Only a united effort was then necessary to have given China the victory. Today, at last, the opportunity for revenge has come. Zhixi believed that millions of Chinese would join the cause against the foreigners since the Manchu had provided great benefits to China. Yet, regional governors who commanded strong modernized armies like Li Hongzhang at Canton, Yuan Shikai in Shandong, Zhuang Zhidong at Wuhan, and Liu Kunyi at Nanjing refused to join the imperial court's decision and withheld knowledge of the war declaration from the public in their respective areas. Most of them continued to suppress boxers instead. The territories they held were effectively neutral and referred to as the Mutual Protection of Southeast China. Believing Seymour's relief forces were still on the way to rescue them, British Minister Claude MacDonald decided to take command of the defenses of the Foreign Legation Quarters. Little did they know, they would be defending the Foreign Legation Quarter for 55 days. The Legations Quarter held the legations of the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, Austro-Hungary, Spain, Belgium, the Netherlands, United States, Russia, and Japan. They were located southeast of the Forbidden City. The Qing military and the Boxers began to siege them on June the 20th, 1900. A total of 473 foreign civilians, 409 soldiers from eight nations, and 3,000 Christian Chinese took refuge. To defend themselves, they had small arms, three machine guns, and an old muzzle-loading cannon they nicknamed International Gun because the barrel was British, carriage was Italian, shells Russian, and the crew American. Each nation took responsibility for the defense of their respective legation, except for Austria and Italy, who joined France and Japan as their legations were too isolated. The Japanese-Italian force defended the Fu, which consisted of a small mansion and a park where many of the Chinese Christians were taking refuge. The American and Germans held positions on the Tartar Wall behind their legations with around 409 guards covering a 2,176-yard urban terrain. The majority of civilians took refuge in the British Embassy, which was the most defensible. Over 245 men, 149 women, and 79 children. At least 150 men volunteered to defend the legations, and Chinese Christians were conscripted into labor to build barricades. On the west of the siege was the Guangxu Muslim soldiers of Dong Fuxiang. On the east was the Peking Field Army. Overall command of the Qing forces was General Rangyu, a man who was anti-boxer and disapproved of the anti-foreign war. Rangyu made several attempts to have ceasefires, but they failed because of suspicions and misunderstandings on both sides. Rangyu also actively hindered Dong Fuxiang's assaults on the legations throughout the siege, going as far as to hide artillery pieces from Dong Fuxiang's forces that could have easily broken down the walls. At first, the Qing forces attempted to burn out the foreigners by setting fires to buildings around the British legation for several days. By June the 23rd, the Hanlin Academy, a National Library of China, and many other buildings burnt down. After this, the Qing forces attacked the Fu, which was defended by Lieutenant Colonel Goro Shiba of Japan. Shiba won great fame for his small force of 24 sailors' vigorous defense of the Fu. The French legation was defended by 78 French and Austrians with 17 volunteers. Their position was urban terrain, and the front lines were only 50 feet away from the Qing forces. The French feared that the Qing forces would dig tunnels and mine their positions. The American and Germans held the most crucial defensive position, the Tartar Wall. 45 feet tall and 40 feet wide, if the Qing forces took it, they would be able to fire down upon the legation quarter hole. The Qing forces made nightly raids from June the 20th to July the 17th, using rifles, artillery, and firecrackers to keep the Alliance forces awake at all times. On June the 30th, a critical plight of the defenders occurred. The Qing forced the Germans off the Tartar Wall, leaving the American Marines alone to defend it. At the same time, the Qing barricade advanced within a few feet of the American position, and it became clear that they would have to abandon the wall or force the Qing forces to retreat. At 2 a.m. July the 2nd, the foreigners launched a counter-assault against the Qing barricade on the wall, with 26 British, 15 Russians, and 15 Americans, led by American Captain John T. Myers. They caught the Qing forces sleeping and killed 20 of them and expelled the rest from the barricades. Two American Marines were killed and Captain T. Myers was wounded. The capture of the Qing position on the wall was hailed as the pivotal moment of the siege, and the Qing would not attempt taking the Tartar Wall again. On July the 13th, the Japanese and Italians defending the Fu were driven back to their last line of defense. 
Then the Qing detonated a mine beneath the French legation, destroying most of it and killing two soldiers. The next day, Ronglu sent conciliatory messages, raising hopes for the defenders, and by July the 17th, an armistice began, and just in time, as one-thirds of the legation guards were either dead or wounded. The reason the Qing forces began it was because they found out that over 20,000 Alliance troops had just landed in China to rescue the sieged legations. Then on July the 28th, the foreign legation defenders received the first message from the outside world in over a month. The eight nations that made up the alliance had sent a force over 55,000 men to China to rescue the legation quarter defenders. The force consisted of 20,840 Japanese, 13,150 Russians, 12,020 British, 3,520 French, 3,420 Americans, 900 Germans, 80 Italians, and 74 Austro-Hungarians. Almost half of these forces were in Tianjin when British commander Alfred Gasly decided not to wait any longer and began to march on Beijing. When his forces were five miles away from the gates of Beijing, the Qing forces suddenly broke the armistice and artillery bombarded the British legation and the Fu. However, the Qing confined themselves to firing from a distance and did not assault the legation knowing the Gasly expedition was quite near. By August the 14th at 2 a.m., the defenders heard the sound of machine gun fire, and at 5 a.m., they began to hear artillery outside the walls of Beijing. The expeditionary force had arrived. The expedition force of British, American, Japanese, Russian, and French each had a gate in the Beijing Wall as its objective. The Japanese had Changyangman, Russians had Dongzhongman, Americans Dongbianman, and the British had Guangchuman. It was basically a race to see who could be the first to rescue the legations. The Japanese and Russians were delayed by heavy Qing resistance. The French got lost, somehow, and the Americans scaled the walls rather than trying to force open the gate, which was really impressive as the walls were over 40 feet high, but it was the British who would win the race. The British passed through the water gate under the Tartar Wall, and Sikh and Rajput soldiers had the honor of being the first to enter the legation quarter. British Commander General Alfred Gasly entered and greeted Sir Claude MacDonald to cheered crowds. As the alliance began occupying Beijing, Empress Dowager Zhixi fled to Xi'an with the imperial court, escorted by General Dong Fuzhang and his Gongju forces. The legation defenders suffered heavy casualties. Of the 409 soldiers, 55 were killed, 135 wounded, and of the civilians, 13 were killed and 24 were wounded. The small Japanese force of 24 sailors led by Colonel Shiba distinguished itself defending the Fu, suffering more than a 100% casualty rate. This was because while they were wounded, they would re-enter combat and just get wounded again. Yet ultimately, it was Manchu General Ronglu declining to press home the siege that aided the defenders. Manchu Prince Zhuan wanted artillery for Dong Fucheng's troops to destroy the legations, but Ronglu blocked the transfer of artillery, preventing them from attacking. Ronglu effectively forced Dong Fucheng and his troops to pull back from completing the siege, thereby saving the foreigners and opening up diplomatic concessions. Ronglu and Prince Qing also sent food to the legations and even used their Manchu bannermen to secretly attack the Muslim Gongju braves of Dong Fucheng and the boxers. The Qing forces slowly withdrew, leaving the boxers alone to try and rebel against the foreigners. Eventually, Alfred von Faldersi showed up with the rest of the alliance forces, ending any hopes of the boxers to rebel further. The foreign forces decided to parade within the Forbidden City, absolutely shocking the Chinese and further humiliating them. Each nation occupied areas of Beijing and soon began looting and selling items in auctions, similar to how the Summer Palace was looted during the Second Opium War. Atrocities like murder and rape occurred, and notoriously, Western correspondents remarked how Russian, Japanese, and Germans were some of the most egregious offenders. The alliance sent demands to Empress Dowager Zhixi, what became known as the Boxer Protocol, and its clauses included. 450 tails of silver to be paid as an indemnity to the eight nations of the alliance over the course of 39 years, the prohibition to import arms and ammunition or materials to make them for two years, the destruction of the Dagu forts, the legation quarters occupied by the powers would be considered special areas under their exclusive control, the punishment of Boxer and Qing officials responsible for crimes against the foreign nationals, the Zhongli Yamin position to be replaced with foreign office, the Qing government was prohibited forever under penalty of death, membership of any anti-foreign societies, Emperor Kongshu was officially to apologize for the murder of Baron von Kettler and Mr. Sugiyama, lastly the right of the foreign powers to station troops in many places within China. Empress Dowager Zhixi was pressed by many imperial court officials to simply carry on with the war, but in the end she gave plenipotentiary power to Li Hongzhang, who promptly went to Beijing to deal with the situation. Prince Duan was stripped of his titles and then sent into exile, Dong Fuxiang was sent to Guangzhou province with his forces, and many other boxer leaders and Qing officials were executed. 
finally, by September the 7th, 1901, the Boxer Protocol was signed by Yang Zhang and Prince Jing. Two months after its signing, a very exhausted Yi Hongzhang died of liver inflammation at Xiangyang Temple in Beijing. Emperor Gangju posthumously honored Li Hongzhang as Marquis Suyi of the first class. The Qing dynasty was yet again humiliated. The Russian Empire during all of this had occupied the province of Manchuria with over 100,000 troops, under the guise it was protecting its railways at the Liangdong Peninsula. Even though Russia stated it would withdraw from Manchuria, they made no effort to do so, further provoking the Empire of Japan that took its control over the Liangdong Peninsula and of Manchuria as a direct threat. The dice of war would be cast again. So let's just summarize everything we have learned. The Boxer Movement began mostly because of Christian and foreign encroachment in China. Conservatives pushed the Empress Dowager Zixi to use the Boxer situation to expel the foreigners and ultimately failed. Many pro-modernization-minded Qing officials such as Yuan Shikai and Li Hongzhang aided the foreigners in an attempt to limit the damage to their nation. Russia used this entire situation to grab most of Manchuria, further antagonizing the Empire of Japan, who was already threatened by their presence in the Liangdong Peninsula. Please, join us next time for the Russo-Japanese War of 1904 to 1905, and if you've not already done so, please hit that like and subscribe button, as it will mean a lot to this small channel. And again, my small little parrot friends here need your subscriptions to get their peanut fix. This has been the Pacific War Channel, over and out. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Pacific War Channel, the channel where we cover the entire Asia-Pacific War of 1937 to 1945 and all the major events that led up to it. Today, we're going to be diving straight into the most important event leading up to the Pacific War, the Russo-Japanese War of 1904 to 1905. Now, if you're not already done so, please hit that like and subscribe button as it would mean a lot to this small channel. And as you can see, I have two very hungry birds to feed. A shaky relationship between Russia and Japan began brewing during the mid-19th century. The Russian Empire acquired Vladivostok from the Qing Dynasty after the Second Opium War with the Convention of Peking, and this led them to expand their maritime trade in the Pacific. On March 13, 1861, the Russian Empire attempted to establish a year-round anchorage on the coast of Tsushima Island. This led to a clash between Russian sailors and the local Japanese, leading Russia to back off. Russia would go on to begin building the Trans-Siberian Railway, linking up Vladivostok in the 1890s. Alongside this, Russia began consolidating its influence in the region of Manchuria, pressing closer to Korea. After the First Sino-Japanese War of 1894-1895, Japan was forced to give up its acquisition of the Liangdong Peninsula by the triple intervention of Germany, France, and Russia. The rise of Japan provoked Russia's anxiety, and she desperately sought a warm-water port, having only the port of Vladivostok in the Pacific. Russia was leased Port Arthur in 1897 and occupied the Liangdong Peninsula, beginning to build up Port Arthur's fortress, where it would base its Pacific fleet. While this move was primarily intended to counter Britain's occupation of Wei Highway, it was also directly perceived as a threat to Japan. To link up its new acquisition, Russia built the Chinese Eastern Railway from the Trans-Siberian going through Manchuria. During the Boxer Rebellion, both Russia and Japan contributed troops to the eight-nation alliance that quelled the rebellion. While all four nations won certain concessions, Russia had sent 177,000 soldiers into Manchuria under the guise to protect its railway construction. Once the rebellion was over, 100,000 of these soldiers remained stationed in Manchuria despite assurances they would vacate once the crisis was finished. Russia's encroachment threatened Japan, but Japan felt it was too militarily weak at this time to evict the Russians from Manchuria. Japan signed the Anglo Alliance in 1902 with Britain, seeking to restrict Russia's naval capabilities at Port Arthur and Vladivostok. Their alliance meant that if any nation allied itself to Russia during the war with Japan, Britain would enter on Japan's side. In the 1890s, Emperor Wilhelm II sought to change the balance of power in Europe to Germany's benefit. Wilhelm II began a propaganda campaign known as the Yellow Peril, which proclaimed a pan-Asian alliance emerging that would threaten all of Europe. He sent letters to his cousin, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia, praising him as the savior of the white race, and God himself chose the Tsar to defend Europe against the Asian threat. In reality, Wilhelm II was simply manipulating his cousin to go to war with Japan. Germany's goal was to challenge Britain's world-leading position, and since Britain was allied to Japan, Germany sought to have Russia go to war with Japan, which could result in a Russian-German alliance against Britain. 
Now, Russia had made assurances its forces in Manchuria would leave by April the 8th, 1903, but the day passed with no reduction. Japan, seeking to stabilize relations with Russia, had Prime Minister Ito Hirobumi begin negotiations on August the 3rd, 1903. He sent Russia a document advocating for a deal. Japan would cede control of Manchuria to Russia if Russia ceded control of Korea to Japan. Russia sent a response on October the 3rd, 1903, refusing Japan's offer and demanding that Korea's 39th parallel serve as a neutral zone. Negotiations would continue into 1904, but went nowhere. It was actually Wilhelm II continuously sending letters egging Nicholas II on, imploring Russia to annex all of Korea, Manchuria, and northern China, and making it seem Germany would back them up. Japan saw that Russia was intentionally prolonging negotiations while building up its naval forces in the Pacific, and decided enough was enough. The Russia-Pacific fleet had two forces, one at Port Arthur, the other at Vladivostok. The beginning of the war would see the two nations fight at Port Arthur. The IRN Pacific Fleet at Port Arthur consisted of seven battleships, six cruisers, commanded overall by Admiral Oskar Ludwig Stark. The IJN combined fleet consisted of six battleships, nine armored cruisers, 15 destroyers, and 20 torpedo boats, commanded overall by Admiral Togo Hihachiro. Admiral Togo's plan was a preemptive strike against the Russian's navy at Port Arthur. At 10.30 p.m. on February 8, 1904, a IJN squadron of 10 destroyers was sent out to attack the ships at Port Arthur. At 12.28 a.m., the first four IJN destroyers arrived, launching torpedoes and hitting battleships Palada and Retsivizan. Palada was hit amidship, causing a fire and keeling over, while Retsivizan was hit in her bow. The next destroyers to arrive launched torpedoes at protected cruiser Tsertsevich, disabling her. After this, the Russians were fully awake and could fire using their shore batteries, so the Japanese withdrew. Convinced the IRN was paralyzed from the night attack, the IJN approached Port Arthur the next day, and at 12 p.m., at a range of 5 miles, the IJN fired their 12-inch guns on the shore batteries and their 8- and 6-inch guns on the IRN. IRN's Novik, Petropavlovsk, Poltava, Diana, and Askold were severely damaged, but the IRN was not paralyzed and within minutes began firing at Mikasa, killing a few of her crew. After 20 minutes of combat, Admiral Togo turned the fleet away, not wanting to risk the full brunt of the Russian shore batteries and IRN guns. As the IGN pulled out, they exchanged fire with the IRN, and both sides scored hits, seven on the Japanese and five on the Russians. The Russians took 150 casualties and the Japanese took 90, with no ships sunk on either side, but several taking damage. Japan issued a formal declaration of war on February 10, 1904, a day after the surprise attack, similar to what would occur at Pearl Harbor in 1941. Port Arthur was effectively under a blockade. On February the 11th, the Russians began to deploy mines at the entrance of Port Arthur, and the Japanese would do the same. And on March the 8th, Admiral Stefan Makarov arrived at Port Arthur to relieve the command of Admiral Stark, who was sacked. On March the 10th, the IRN took to the offensive, coming out of the port to attack the IGN blockade, but with little effect. Later that day, the IGN sent four destroyers close to Port Arthur to lure the IRN out again. The Russians took the bait and sent six destroyers. Two of the IRN destroyers ran into Japanese mines, and both were sunk. On April 13th, Makarov transferred his flag to battleship Petropavlovsk and attempted to assist a destroyer recon patrol near Dalian. His squadron soon met the IGN and had to retreat back to Port Arthur under the protection of its shore batteries. However, on the way back, at 9.43, Petropavlovsk was struck by three Japanese mines and sank in two minutes. This disaster killed 335 of her crew, including Admiral Makarov. Battleship Pobida also hit a mine and was crippled. Admiral Togo ordered the IGN flags to be flown at half-mast in respect of Admiral Makarov's death. Admiral Vilgem Vidjeft would command at Port Arthur. On May 15th, IGN battleships Yashima and Hatsuze ran into mines at Port Arthur, both sinking as a result. Admiral Vilgem Vidjeft of the IRN tried to break out of the blockade on August the 10th to make a sortie to Vladivostok. Now the IGN had split up their fleet, sending a few ships to support ground forces entering the Liaodong Peninsula. At 9.55 a.m., the IRN broke out, feigning southwest to conceal their movements. Togo's forces scrambled to get into formation as they sailed parallel to the IRN. The IGN used their speed to get their cruisers to cross the IRNT at 12.25 near Encounter Rock, and began opening fire at a range of 8 miles. The IRN quickly turned and tried to break for open sea, but the IGN kept moving parallel to them, exchanging fire and hitting Ret Vizan over 12 times. The IRN proceeded to make maneuvers to get around the IGN, who kept crossing their T as both fleets exchanged fire. Eventually, the IRN had to give up, retreating back to Port Arthur. The Russians had 226 casualties, Japanese 340. Both sides had several ships damaged, but none sunk. The first major land battle was the Battle of Yalu River, fought near Riju. The Imperial Russian Army commander in the Far East, General Alexei Kuropatkin, took a stalling strategy. The Russians were stalling to allow reinforcements to come via the Trans-Siberian Railway and take the offensive, 
However, the railway was incomplete, making the trip a long ordeal. Kuropatkin dispatched an eastern detachment commanded by Lieutenant General Mikhail Zuzilich with 16,000 infantry, 5,000 cavalry, and 62 artillery pieces. The IGA deployed the 1st Army commanded by Major General Bron Tememoto Kuroki, consisting of 42,500 men coming from Chumupo. They reached the Yalu River on the night of April 24, 1904, crossing the river using pontoon bridges at multiple points, making a three-pronged advance. At 5 a.m. on April the 29th, the IGA artillery opened fire, knocking out the IRA artillery, while they advanced on the town of Yichu, and then they pincer attacked the IRA at Chulianchong. By 10 a.m., the IRA was in full retreat, slowly making their way north to Fenghongsheng. The Japanese had 1,036 casualties, the Russian 2,700. The Japanese Second Army, consisting of 38,500 men, commanded by General Yasukata Oku, landed on the Liodong Peninsula on May the 5th, 1904. Their mission was to capture Port Dalian and lay siege to Port Arthur. To protect the way to Port Arthur and Dalian, commander of the IRA in the Kwangtung Peninsula, General Baron Anatoly Stiesel, fortified Nanshin Hill. 17,000 men, 114 pieces of artillery, mines, Maxim machine guns, and a network of trenches and barbed wire were the hill's defense. On May 26, the IJ began its assault on the entrenched Russians at Nanshin Hill with an artillery barrage from the Japanese gunboats offshore. The IJ made nine attempts to overrun the Russian positions, failing and taking heavy casualties. The Russian reserve regiments then suddenly retreated after blowing up their own ammunition reserves under orders of General Falk. Falk was paranoid of a possible Japanese landing behind their position and panicked. Neglecting to tell the main commander at Nanshan, Tretyakov, before fleeing with his men, leaving Tretyakov in a position vulnerable of being encircled with no ammunition and no reserve force. Tretyakov had no choice but to fall back to the defensive lines at Port Arthur, and the IGA captured Nanshan Hill. The Russians had 1,400 casualties, while the Japanese suffered over 6,198. On May the 30th, to their amazement, Port Dalian was left defenseless, so the IGA occupied it with ease. After losing Nanshan Hill and Dalian, the Russians feared being encircled at Port Arthur. Lieutenant General Georgi Stackelberg was ordered to mount an offensive from Lianyang in the direction of Port Arthur. He had 27,000 infantry, 2,500 cavalry, and 98 artillery pieces. The IGA at Dalian reorganized into the 2nd Army under General Oku, who would march north towards Lianyang, and the 3rd Army under General Baron Nogi Marosuke, who would lay siege to Port Arthur. The 2nd IGA Army had 36,000 infantry, 2,000 cavalry, 216 artillery pieces as it marched towards Lianyang. On June 14th, the 2nd IGA ran into the IRA at the village of Telosu, and the Russians had already set up their fuel artillery on high grounds. However, the IGA artillery outperformed the new Russian Putelov M1903 field guns, mostly because the crews lacked training with the new equipment. On top of losing the artillery battle, the Russians were outflanked by faint maneuvers, and to avoid encirclement, Stackelberg issued orders to retreat at 11.30 a.m. on June the 15th. The Russians fought bitterly as they ran to their trains, rushing away to Nukden. The Russians had 3,500 casualties, and the Japanese, 1,163. After the Battle of Telusu, the 2nd IGA rested a few days to gather reinforcements, becoming 64,000 men strong, with 252 artillery pieces. Lieutenant General Stackelberg's forces dug in at Keiping, and Lieutenant General Nikolai Zurobev's forces were entrenched in the town of Teshishiao. Overall, they were 60,000 men strong. The 2nd IGA marched north and reached the area on July the 24th, when at 5.30 a.m. they began an artillery duel. The Russian artillery caused heavy casualties thwarting a Japanese assault. The Japanese made a night attack at 10 p.m. on the Russian left flank and overran them. This was followed up by another assault at 3 a.m., targeting key hills where Russian artillery was. The IGA artillery bombarded the hills until no return fire was made. By 1 p.m., the IGA occupied Tishijiao, as Stockelberg had withdrew during the first night attack. It is estimated that both sides lost around 1,000 casualties each. The longest and most violent offensive came with the assault of Port Arthur. Major General Anatoly Stiesel commanded 50,000 troops, 44,000 civilian volunteers, and 506 artillery pieces to protect a population of 87,000 at Port Arthur. The defenses consisted of multi-perimeter layouts with overlapping fields of fire. On the other defense was a line of hills. Hisiokushan, Takushan, Namakoyama, Akasakayama, 174-meter hill, 203-meter hill, and False Hill. All the hills were heavily fortified, and around 1.5 kilometers behind the defensive lines was a Chinese stone wall encircling the town. The Russians had howitzers, Maxim machine guns, bolt-action magazine rifles, barbed wire, electric fences, searchlights, hand grenades, and tactical radio signaling, making this a very World War I-esque battle. The 3rd IGA, commanded by General Baron Nogi Maratsuke, was 150,000 men strong, with over 474 artillery pieces. The IGA began bombarding with 4.7-inch artillery beginning on August the 7th to August the 19th, 1904. The IGN also bombarded the less fortified hills of Takushan and Kushan. The IGA pounded the hills from 4.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., then launched a frontal assault. 
through parts of the Ta River. Many men drowned in the process. They attacked throughout the night while Russian searchlights exposed them to artillery attack and machine gun fire. Undeterred, the IGA attacked the next day with the IRN fleet bombarding them. The Russians held on tenaciously, but the IGA were finally able to overrun their positions via sheer numbers, capturing Takushan at 10 p.m. and Huziokushan on the following morning. The two hills cost the IGA 1,280 casualties. On August 19th, the IGA thrusted at 174-meter hill, being defended by Tretyakov's forces. The Russians fought bitterly, losing half of their men before withdrawing the next day. Taking the hill cost the IGA 1,800 casualties and the IRA 1,000. The IGA attempted to penetrate the Wantai Ravine on August 24th, but by this time they mounted over 16,000 casualties. Thus, General Nogi decided to abandon the frontal assaults in favor of a protracted siege. Nogi ordered his men to dig trenches and tunnel underneath the Russian forts so they could explode mines, bringing down the walls. Nogi also received 16,000 reinforcements and 11-inch Armstrong siege howitzers, which could throw 500-pound shells over 5.6 miles. Meanwhile, the defenders began to suffer from an outbreak of scurvy and dysentery due to a lack of fresh food. On September the 19th, the IGA assaulted and captured the Waterworks Redoubt and the Temple Redoubt. Another IGA force captured Namakoyama Hill on the same day while IGA forces attacked 203-meter hill, which met extreme machine gun fire. The IGA fought for days, gaining footholds only to be counterattacked each time. Nogi had to abandon taking the hill once casualties mounted up to 3,500, and then the Russians began to reinforce the hill. On October the 29th, Nogi ordered a human wave attack on the hill, but the attack failed after six days of brutal hand-to-hand -hand combat, amounting to almost 3,611 casualties. 203-meter hill was at the highest elevation within Port Arthur, overlooking the harbor. The IGA required the hill to be able to bombard the IRN fleet within the harbor. Nogi was going to be replaced if he failed to capture it. On September the 20th, the IGA assaulted it again and after two days had 2,500 casualties. This was followed up by a six-day general assault on fortifications around Port Arthur, costing the IGA a further 3,600 casualties. Popular opinion of Nogi was dropping dramatically, pushing him to take drastic actions or he will be relieved of command. Meanwhile, Tsar Nicholas II, under pressure to save the Pacific Fleet, formed a 2nd and 3rd Pacific Squadron to make an incredible journey all the way to Port Arthur from the Baltic and Black Sea. These Pacific Squadrons consisted of these ships and were commanded by Admiral Rosthetvensky and Rear Admiral von Falkosam. The warships would debark from the Baltic ports of Rival in mid-October in Leba and the Black Sea. Port of Odessa on November the 3rd, 1904. By mid-November, some of the 2nd Pacific Squadron entered the Indian Ocean. Back at Port Arthur on November the 26th, Nogi ordered mines to be exploded under the Russian fortifications and performed a forlorn hope attack on Fort Herlung and Fort Sengju, but were beaten back. The IGA suffered 4,000 casualties with these frontal assaults. This was followed up two days later with a massive artillery bombardment and the IGA assaults on Akasakayama and 203-meter hill. Over 1,000 shells were used in a single day to support the assault. By November the 30th, an IJ force planted the Japanese flag at the summit of 203-meter hill, but by the morning of December the 1st, the Russians successfully counterattacked. For days, hand-to-hand -hand combat raged over the summit, until December the 5th, at 10.30 a.m., Tretyakov was severely wounded by artillery. The IGA managed to overrun his disoriented forces, with only a handful of defenders left alive on the summit. The Russians launched two counterattacks, but both failed. By 5 p.m., 203-meter hill was under Japanese control. The ordeal cost the IGA 8,000 casualties and the Russians over 6,000. With a spotter and a phone line connected to the vantage point on 203-meter hill, Nogi began to bombard the IRN fleet with 11-inch howitzers. On December the 5th, battleship Poltava was sunk, Ret Vizan by December the 7th, and Pobida, Pervets, Palada, and Bayan by December the 9th. Sevastopol managed to maneuver out of range, so Admiral Togo sent destroyers in, firing over 124 torpedoes, yet she still managed to float. The IGN lost two destroyers and the cruiser Takasago to a mine in the process. On the night of January the 2nd, 1905, Captain Nikolai Essen of Sevastopol tried to scuttle the ship, but even that failed, and eventually the Japanese salvaged the warship, recommissioning it for the IGN. The IGA pressed its tunnel warfare, and on December the 18th, detonated a near 4,000-pound mine under Fort Chikan, which promptly fell that night. On December 28th, similar mines were detonated under Fort Yerlung, destroying it. On December the 31st, a series of mines detonated under the last fort, Songxu. It surrendered that day. And on January the 1st, Wantai fell to the IGA, and Stoisil surrendered to Nogi on January the 5th, 1905. The Russian soldiers were taken into captivity, the civilians disallowed to leave. Overall, the Russians suffered 31,306 casualties, with at least 6,000 killed. The IGA suffered 
57,780 casualties with over 14,000 killed. Over 33,769 IGA members have become sick during the siege, mostly because of beriberi. Nogi would later go on to apologize for the lives lost during the campaign to Emperor Meiji, asking him to be allowed to kill himself in atonement. Instead, Emperor Meiji ordered him to live out the rest of his life. After leaving a garrison in Port Arthur, Nogi left with the bulk of his surviving army, almost 120,000 of them, to join Marshal Oyama to attack Mukden. While the siege of Port Arthur had been raging, the IGA won various battles, such as the Battle of Hushmicheng on July 31st and a minor naval battle at Yusan on August 14th, 1904. The next major battle would take place at Liaoyang, which stood on the Russian South Manchurian Railway connecting Port Arthur to Bukden. The city was heavily fortified with three lines of fortifications. General Alexei Kuropatkin commanded 158,000 men with 609 artillery pieces, dividing his forces into three groups. General Oyama Iowa divided his forces consisting of the 1st, 2nd, and 4th IGA, consisting of over 120,000 men and 170 artillery pieces, all converging on Liaoyang. The 2nd IGA would advance along the railway, while the 1st would converge on Motian Pass, and the 4th would be in reserve. Because of the lack of numbers, Oyama was hoping the 3rd IGA of General Nogi would join once Port Arthur was secured, but it took too long, pressing Oyama to attack. On August 25, 1904, the IGA began artillery bombarding as they assaulted the right flank of the IRA. The Russian artillery thwarted the attack, forcing the IGA to take up to a thousand casualties. Then the IGA assaulted the east of Liaoyang in fierce night fighting on top of the slopes of Piko Mountain, taking the position the following day. By August the 27th, the IRA pulled back from the outer defensive lines to the second defensive lines. While these lines were easier to defend, they also allowed Oyama to encircle them easier by cutting off the railway. On August the 30th, the IGA assaulted multiple defensive fronts, but were repulsed. To the surprise of the Japanese, Kuropatkin made no counterattacks. It turns out Kuropakin was under the belief the Japanese forces were much larger than they actually were, and he decided to hold back. On September the 1st, the 2nd IGA took Karn Hill, while the 1st IGA crossed the Tetsu River around 8 miles east of the Russian lines. This prompted Kuropakin to pull back to the innermost defensive lines, enabling the IGA to artillery bombard the city and its railway station. Finally, knowing their plight, Kuropakin ordered a counterattack aimed at the 1st IGA crossing the Tetsu River towards Manjuyama Hill, east of the city. Kuropatkin set the 1st and 10th Siberian Army Corps with 13 battalions. They made a night attack on the hill, initially being successful, but then in confusion the Russian regiments fired upon another, and by the morning the IGA took back the hill. By September the 3rd, the counterattack was cancelled as Kuropatkin decided to abandon the city and regroup at Mukden, fearing encirclement. The IGA suffered up to 23,615 casualties and 15,548 for the IRA. After the Battle of Liaoyang, General Kuropatkin planned to block the Japanese advance at Shaho River, south of Mukden. His forces numbered 210,000, while Oyama's force was 170,000. The IRA broke into a western detachment commanded by General Alexander von Bilderling, an eastern detachment commanded by Lieutenant General Georgi Stackelberg, and some reserves. From October the 5th to the 17th, the IGA and the IRA attempted to outflank another, inflicting heavy casualties on both sides. The end result was a gradual retreat from the IRA to Mukden, while the IGA had advanced 25 kilometers. The Russians suffered 41,350 casualties and the Japanese 20,345. While it was a tactical victory for the Japanese, they were unable to advance any further, having their supply lines grown too thin, so they had to dig in. After the Battle of Shaowo, both sides had dug in, hoping for reinforcements to arrive. On January the 19th, 1905, Kuropatkin ordered the 2nd Manchurian Army, consisting of 75,000 men, commanded by General Oskar Grippenberg, to attack the 2nd IGA Army, consisting of 40,000 men, commanded by General Oku. The plan was to push the 2nd IGA back across the Tatsu River, before the 3rd IGA, commanded by Nogi, would arrive. On January the 25th, many of the IRA attacked the IGA at the fortified village of Heikotei, under heavy blizzard conditions. The original plan was to attack Sendepu village, but many of the IRA had become lost. The IGA at Sendepu artillery bombarded the IRA as they continued their divided assault. The incoherent assault continued despite heavy losses until January the 29th when Oyama launched a massive counterattack taking Heikotei by mid-morning. Grippenberg claimed illness and resigned as the IGA pushed the IRA back. Overall, the Russians suffered up to 20,000 casualties and the Japanese lost 9,000. The last and most decisive land battle would occur at Mukden. General Kiropatkin had 340,000 men, 1,219 artillery pieces, and 88 machine guns. His defensive force consisted of the 1st Manchurian Army under General Nikolai Leinvich, the 2nd under General Baron von Walsbach, and the 3rd under General Baron von Biedeling. 
Oyama's force was 270,000 strong, with 992 artillery and 200 machine guns, consisting of the 1st Army under General Kiryoki, the 2nd under General Oku, 3rd under General Nogi, and the 4th under General Nozu, and a newly formed 5th Army under General Kawamura. Ayoma's strategy was to form his armies into a crescent and encircle Mukden, cutting off their escape. He also gave explicit orders to not combat within the city of Mukden to avoid civilian casualties. The battle opened up with the 5th IGA attacking the left flank of the IRA on February the 20th, 1905. On the 27th, the 4th IGA attacked the right flank while the 3rd IGA circled around northwest of Mukden and the other IGA forces attacked the IRA front lines. By March the 7th, General Kuropatkin began withdrawing forces from his eastern front to counter the 3rd IGA who were trying to attack the western flank of Mukden. General Kuropatkin led the east-to-west forces himself, and this resulted in an uncoordinated mess, leading the 1st and 3rd Manchurian armies to disintegrate into chaos. General Kuropatkin withdrew his troops north towards Mukden to face the IGA head-on at the Hun River, just southeast of the city. Oyama seized the opportunity and ordered an attack on the Hun River. The IGA fought bitterly through artillery fire, but eventually took the northern bank of the river. The Russian forces were now divided, and the IGA were capable of encircling their right flank. General Kuropakin ordered a retreat north on March the 9th, but this quickly turned into a disorganized route. The panicked Russians abandoned their wounded, weapons, and supplies fleeing towards Tiling. By 10 a.m. on March the 10th, the IGA occupied Mukden. The Russians had 90,000 casualties, losing most of their artillery and machine guns while fleeing. The IGA suffered 75,000 casualties. The Russians were driven out of southern Manchuria. The Trans-Siberian Railroad was in the hands of the Japanese, and Russian morale was all but gone. The victory shocked the imperial powers of Europe, and particularly Tsar Nicholas II. While the war over the land was finishing, a decisive battle for the sea would occur in the Tushima Strait. Since the IGM began its attack on the IRN at Port Arthur, the 2nd and 3rd Pacific Squadron had made an incredible journey from the Baltic and Black Seas to come join up with the 1st Pacific Fleet in an attempt to overwhelm the IGM. However, by the time the 2nd and 3rd Pacific Squadrons had reached Nosi to Madagascar, Port Arthur had fallen. The new objective was to link up with the remaining war vessels at Vladivostok before challenging the IGN. The IRN would sail through Tushima Strait to get to Vladivostok. Admiral Togo, based in Masan, waited for the IRN to approach. The IRN, as a result of its 18,000-mile journey, was in poor condition for battle. The lack of opportunity for maintenance significantly reduced the speed of their warships. The IRN at this point was capable of 14 knots in short bursts, while the IGN could sustain 15 knots. The IRN consisted of 11 battleships, 9 cruisers, 9 destroyers, under the overall command of Vice Admiral Zinovi Rohasvensky. The combined IGN consisted of 5 battleships, 23 cruisers, 20 destroyers, and 16 torpedo boats, under the overall command of Admiral Hihachiro Togo. On May the 26th, the IRN attempted to slip through the strait without being noticed under a heavy night fog. However, during the night, one of their hospital ships had their lights on, and the IGN cruiser Shinano Maru saw it while patrolling the strait. This led the Shinano Maru to discover the IRN fleet, and it sent out a wireless telegram message to Admiral Togo, who promptly prepared the IGN for battle. The IGN put out to sea, hunting the IRN while coordinating using wireless telegrams through poor weather conditions. At 1.40 p.m. on May the 27th, both fleets saw each other, and at 1.55 p.m. Togo hoisted the Z flag, issuing the predetermined announcement to the entire IGN Navy that the fate of the Empire was depending on this battle. The IGN intercepted the IRN and chased parallel to them, trying to maneuver around the IRN to cross their T, as the IRN opened fire, concentrating on the leading flagship Mikasa. The Mikasa was hit over 30 times during this, but by 2.45 p.m., the IGN had successfully crossed the IRN's T. The IRN could only move at burst speeds of 14 knots, which allowed the faster IGN pushing 50 knots to successfully cross their T with ease. Now having crossed the T, the IGN opened fire using all broadside guns, as the IRN could only reply with their forward turrets. Shells poured over the IRN, tearing superstructures apart, ripping open steel plates, and sending fragments all over the decks, piling up the dead and dismembered across them. In 90 minutes, the leading IRN battleship Oselibia was the first to sink, and this was also the first modern armored warship to be sunk by gunfire alone in history. Rolshovensky responded by attempting to alter the IRN's course eastward, with Imperator Alexander III taking lead. The IGN attempted to push the IRN south, but the IRN eventually managed a northern course again. The IGN got close to about 1,500 meters and managed to cross the IRN-T again, opening fire and hitting the Imperator Alexander III, capsizing her. Next, IGN battleship Fuji fired a hit into the magazine of IRN battleship Borodino, causing her to explode, sending smoke thousands of meters high into the air as she sank. 
IRN Knats Sovarov was hit by torpedoes and sunk slowly. Rosovensky was knocked out of action by a shell fragment hitting his skull, and Rear Admiral Nikobogotov took command. At 8 p.m., Togo ordered 21 destroyers and 37 torpedo boats to attack the remaining RN warships from the east and south. For three hours without break, they repeatedly attacked, colliding often with the RN warships. During the chaos, the RN dispersed into small groups trying to break northwards under the cover of darkness. By 11 p.m., it seemed the remaining IRN had escaped when they turned on their searchlights, giving away their location. IRN Navarin struck a mine and was forced into a halt, where IGN torpedo boats launched torpedoes at her, making four hits and sinking her. The IRN battleship Sisoy Velenki was hit by a torpedo on the stern and would be scuttled the next day. Two older armored cruisers, Admiral Nakimov and Vladimir Monomake, were both hit with torpedoes to the bow, taking on water and eventually scuttled. Togo ordered his torpedo boat destroyers to hunt any remaining vessels fleeing while he consolidated his heavy warships. At 9.30 a.m. on the 28th, the remaining IRN was sighted heading northwards. The IGN battleships surrounded the surviving IRN south of Takeshima Island and began firing main batteries at 12,000 meters, which was 1,000 meters outside of the IRN gun range. Vice Admiral Nibogatov realized the situation and hoisted the XGE international signal of surrender, but did not stop his engines, which violated the code. The IGN continued to fire upon them, thinking the IRN was faking a surrender and trying to flee. Nibogatov panicked and ordered the Japanese Navy flag hoisted up and stopped all engines. Togo finally gave the order to cease fire and accepted the surrender. In total, the Russians had 216 officers and over 4,614 men killed, with 278 and 5,629 men taken as POWs. The Russian cruiser Almaz and two torpedo boat destroyers Gorzny and Bravi made it to Vladivostok saving 62 officers and over 1,165 men. The Japanese lost 117 officers and men killed, with 583 wounded. This battle effectively ended the war, completely humiliating Russia and shocked the entire world. Japan had only lost three torpedo boats. A prolonged war would not favor Japan, as they had overextended their supply lines and Russia could still send forces over the Trans-Siberian Railway, albeit slowly. Neither Russia nor Japan had prepared for the number of deaths that would occur in this new kind of warfare, nor did they have the finances to compensate the losses. Recognizing this, Japan sought intermediaries to assist in bringing the war to a negotiated conclusion. U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt initially was pro-Japanese when the war began, but soon saw the strengthening military power of Japan as a long-term threat to U.S. interests in Asia. Roosevelt met with Japanese diplomat Keneko Kentaro to set up negotiations which would take place in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. The Portsmouth Peace Conference was led by Foreign Minister Komura Jutaro from Japan and the former Finance Minister Sergei Witt from Russia. Tsar Nicholas II told his delegates beforehand not to agree to any territorial concessions, reparations, or limitations on the deployment of Russian forces in the Far East. The Japanese came to the table demanding recognition of its interest in Korea, the removal of all Russian forces within Manchuria, substantial reparations, and to confirm their control over the Sakhalin Island that they had seized in 1905 just after the Battle of Tsushima. Twelve sessions were to be held between August the 9th to the 30th. Both sides were able to agree to eight points. An immediate ceasefire, recognition of Japanese claims over Korea, the evacuation of Russian forces within Manchuria, Russia ceasing its lease over Port Arthur and Dalian to Japan and turn over the South Manchurian Railway and some mining concessions over to Japan. Also, Russia was allowed to retain the Chinese Eastern Railway. However, reparations and territorial concessions were still being argued. On August the 18th, Roosevelt proposed that Russia divide Sakhalin with Japan. Komuro rejected this proposal, and Sergei Witt responded that he was instructed to cease negotiations and resume the war. Indeed, four new Russian divisions arrived in Manchuria, and the Russian delegation made a show of packing their bags and preparing to depart. The American hosts convinced the Japanese that monetary compensations was not open for compromise by the Russians. Komura yielded, taking the southern half of Sakhalin and dropping the claims for reparations. The Treaty of Portsmouth was signed on September the 5th and ratified on October the 10th, 1905. In 1906, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to Theodore Roosevelt for negotiating the peace between Russia and Japan. However, the Japanese public were deeply dissatisfied with the terms of the treaty, and this caused the Haibaya riots and the collapse of Prime Minister Katsura Taro's cabinet on January 7, 1906. Public outcry began in Russia since the Japanese attack on Port Arthur in 1904, and this all led to the Russian Revolution of 1905, straining the very fragile reign of Tsar Nicholas II. The treaty confirmed Japan's emergence as a power in Asia, and Japan learned the lesson that war pays high dividends and was an effective way to solve diplomatic problems.
the United States was widely blamed in Japan for the treaty and that Roosevelt had cheated Japan out of its rightful claims. U.S.-Japanese relations would never be the same and would only worsen by the 1930s, eclipsing into war in 1941. Now let's just summarize everything we have learned. The two empires of Russia and Japan fought a war over the sphere of influence over Asia. Japan won the war and shocked the entire world, emerging as a great power in Asia. Victory would be bittersweet as Japan felt it was robbed by the United States. US and Japanese relations would only get worse from this point on, leading to war. We hope you liked this episode. And it was narrated quite fast, and I do apologize for that. I tried to fit a lot into this one. But please, join us next time for the Xinhai Revolution, and please, like and subscribe so I can feed these poor little birds. This has been the Pacific War Channel, over and out.